You're listening to the Rich State of Mind Show, the podcast made to make you the total package in the entrepreneurial world and give you what we call a rich state of mind. If you are here looking to learn about real estate investing, marketing, elevating your business, and developing your mindset to get to the next level, then you are at the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join our community on richstateofmind.com. Now here's your host, Anthony Ritchie. Hey everybody, welcome to the episode of Rich State of Mind where I'm talking to Jeremy Torres. He's a serial entrepreneur who literally wrote the book on overcoming adversity and how the power of positive mindset can change the course of anyone's life. Uh, he's also somebody who's directly been involved with building several $50 million per year businesses in the teleco construction industry over the last 30 years, but now practices leadership, coaching, consulting, and speaking to help young solopreneurs start and grow new small businesses through his company, Taurus Pro Advisors. So uh, Jeremy uh, talks about different aspects of leadership, different aspects of business, and how in any field that you want to get started, how you can become successful starting from the ground up. So please uh, listen to this episode. It's a very humbling and relatable story where even when you feel like you don't have anything, you can still come up and be successful with any of the skills that you have. So you just got to figure out how to turn it into something profitable and how you can service others. So thank you for listening. Please enjoy. Hey, Jeremy, thank you for taking the time this evening. I think it's going to be a great episode. Definitely, you are a jack of all trades, and I would like to discuss the many topics that we'll talk about. So if you could please tell us a little bit about what you do, and we'll go on from there. Sure. My name is Jeremy Torsk, and I call myself a serial entrepreneur. Uh, for the last 30 years, I've been spending a lot of my time in telecommunications construction industry, which means I'm building the fiber optic plant for AT&T, Comcast, you know, Facebook, we rebuilt uh, Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands after those big hurricanes hit a couple of years ago. But I also dabble a lot in small business. So we own a small little uh, landscaping company. My son runs, he's 20 years old. We do about $250,000 revenue there. My wife and I do a lot of real estate sales and investing. So on the weekends, we do a lot of that. And then I wrote a little book during the pandemic. So getting into the kind of keynote speaking, coaching, leadership, coaching, managing, and uh, just all around inspiration, get people to come up, you know, rising tide raises all ships. So we're doing our part. So uh, tell me the transition between uh, your job that you had, that you worked at for, for many years, uh, and then what made you transition over into uh, being the serial entrepreneur? Well, I've always had that, that kind of spirit. Um, when I grew up, I grew up in kind of, uh, you ever watch um, Shameless on Showtime? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was my house, right? maybe about eight out of 10. It was not a healthy environment for children. So I, I grew up really unorthodox. So I was a hustler, you know, always out trying to make a dime, owned a car wash, kind of just washing cars with my buddies at 14, 15 years old, cutting grass, doing everything we can. And so I always had that hustler mentality. Um, I got into cable television at about 20 years old. And that lasted me for 30 years. I went from literally the bottom digging ditches and worked my way all the way into middle management. Then I started working for Comcast and working for that big fortune 500 company for eight years. I really rose to those ranks, but after the upgrade was done in South Florida, I went back to contracting and started on my own, opened up my own little business. 
And uh, that really went well. Got a real taste of entrepreneurship. Hired about uh, 19 guys working for me, five trucks. And then 2009, baby, housing bubble burst. Yeah. And I lost everything. I'm talking about everything. I had zero. I had a house that I owed 300000 on. I had about $300,000 worth of debt for business, growing the business. So at 40 years old, I was on a couch, no high school diploma because I quit school when I was a teenager. No prospects because the industry was pretty much dead for about two and a half years. And um, just no hope. But because where I come from as as a kid, I was still better than I was when I was a kid. So I had this great attitude. It didn't matter. My kids really didn't know that, you know, we were going through all this. Uh, and I took a job for $45,000 a year answering telephones at a call center. But because of my attitude, I got promoted through that thing. And before you know about a year late into it, I was a director. And that's where I ended up meeting my wife and, and business partner because uh, she was brought in to cut the hair of the, of the executives there. And I was middle, middle management. It was a perk. Got my hair cut by the hot barber, and that's how I met my <laughs> wife. So uh, got back into cable television in about 2012, and uh, started building towers all over Chicago. So for the last 10 years, I've been traveling all over the country, building cell towers, putting fiber optic cable underground, aerial, rebuilding the islands, like I said, after those hurricanes. And about uh, seven or eight months ago, uh, a guy came knocking on the door and offered to buy our company from us because I was a 10% equity partner. I got 10% of the sale. And so that allowed me to, for once in my life, live a get to life. I don't have to do anything else in my whole life that I ever again, I get to do everything that I do now. And what I want to do now is just help people start small businesses and, and understand that where you are, does it mean it's where you're going to be or where you have to be in the future? Uh, how did you become a 10% equity partner? Explain that process, please. After we worked in the islands, that took a whole year to build Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands. And I was gone for most of that time. Uh, I, I travel 45 weeks a year. I get it, but I'm home most weekends. You know, I got a bit of a regular schedule. That was very chaotic. No power, no electric, uh, no water, no food for about three months. And then slowly things came back, but you've got all of these contractors you're trying to, to manage and it was really heavy. So I wanted to take about a month or two off. When I came back, I took about a week off and it just got me right back out of building the United States again because we lost all our business here. I told them I wasn't gonna work and I was gonna just walk. And they said, listen, uh, we're gonna make you a 10% equity partner if you just stay. And I said, you got yourself a deal. <laughs> I yeah. found my energy all of a sudden, man. You know, so I had some ownership in the company and that took three years to build that up back up to about $60 million worth of revenue again from zero uh, after the, after the islands. But uh, we were just, just in the right place at the right time. Someone looking for a cable company and, and they bought our, our, our construction company. And that's awesome, man. It's definitely a blessing uh, that that was able to happen to you. So it gave you a lot of flexibility. And so uh, what do you what do you focus on now specifically? You talked about coaching. Uh, what led you to coaching and then what exactly are you coaching people to do? So what happened was during the pandemic, none of my crews were slowed down. I have crews working all over the country, but we're working out on the roadway. So during the pandemic, as long as we weren't riding with two people in the car, we could still work on the highway because it was outdoors. But I couldn't travel. 
right? That's my job is to go from job, job site to job site. So I was here for two and a half months with my family. We have four children, my wife, and we had a family meeting about three weeks into it. And they said, uh, dad, we don't, we don't work for you. <laughs> uh, stop telling us what to do. You know, I just, I'm in boss mode all the time. So I had to just, you know, barricade myself into a room and I just turned 50 this year. And I had, like I said, my childhood was just messed up. And I started saying, let me grab some of those memories before they start getting away from me and put them on paper. And before you know it, I wrote this book called Labor to Leadership. And it's my journey from pit digger to CEO. And as I was writing all these things down, I just started seeing lessons of failure and success and failure and asking for help and failure and growing and taking accountability. And I figured it could help some people. So I wrote the book and I started releasing it to some friends and family. And I got a lot of really positive feedback and started getting involved with junior uh, achievement and mentoring some kids from the high school down the street in Pompano Beach last year. And it just felt good to teach. And so when we just were bought out, I, I just decided to make a new career out of it. A new go, brand new, not a new chapter, but a new book for me, literally for my life. And so all I do now is try to help people start small businesses or figure out what they want to do in life. And then uh, keynote speaking, workshops, uh, breakout sessions. So I teach, I, I teach a very a variety of things about leadership and mindset and you know all the things that you talk about on your podcast and so i, I want to talk about let's let's break down labor and leadership so what are some main things that you like to focus on when you speak on labor and and it is correlation to leadership labor is the job that you're doing is pretty much as a worker as an employee but you have to have a mindset that you own yourself you are your own company so you be your, become your own CEO. So I might be sweeping the floors today, but I know that if I just do my job, because I, I said I would sweep the floors, I'm going to be hired on here to sweep the floors. So I'm going to be the best floor sweeper that I can be. I'm going to get in early. I'm going to work late because I might not be the smartest guy at the building. I might not have the most skill, the most talent, but no one's going to outwork me. And I'm going to own my job. I'm going to own my hours. I'm going to own my attitude. I'm going to own my responses to whatever happens to me during the day. And that's always served me well. And it got me from digging ditches to on the install team, to the MDU building construction, to splicing management. And it's always, always never failed for me. So even though it's a labor position, it might not be what you want to do today. Know that if you own it and you, you do the best you can at it, that better things will come. People will see you when you don't know they're watching. And it, especially if you have a proactive mindset, do things without them asking. So you might be hired to sweep, but then do something that you, you see needs to get done. Do it without being asked or told. I, I like the fact that you talked about that because I feel like that concept is lost a bit. I wish a lot of employees had that naturally. Um, and I think a lot of it yeah. is from my upbringing too, right? Um, I'm, a, I'm from a similar background where my father definitely made sure he stayed on me about uh, providing a service, being a contribution to the family. Uh, my mom drove me around town when I had just turned 16 saying, you will find a job. So before <laughs> that, I was cutting grass. So I remember always take pride in what you do and, and do right when even when you know nobody's looking. It's the same thing, concepts actually that I, I'm teaching my son. And if everybody was to do that, I mean, this well, we would live in a utopia if everybody was to do that. 
but <laughs> uh, How about values that's your core values that, that your parents built in you and you're giving that now you're passing that on to your children that's amazing and i can't imagine living uh any anything other than that because then we'd be i'd be okay with mediocrity i feel like um yeah that that's what, what keeps me up at night that's why i sleep three hours a day <laughs> <laughs> three oh man i the best i could do is four and so <laughs> it's not a choice <laughs> nah yeah man that's uh well kudos to you man because at 50 man i, I my, my wife gets on me about how i'm an old soul i'm 30 and i, and I act so old so i can only imagine how i'm gonna be at 50 uh we'll <laughs> see grumpy. if i can keep up that's my wife <laughs> say it you get grumpier i promise if you don't sleep that much that's my wife you gotcha, gotcha. let me sure i have some coffee on the side <laughs> yeah and so what do you teach about leadership uh, well, leadership is just a, such a high level word. I teach values, right? Find out what your core values are, appreciating and valuing other people. So you got to value people, but then you have to add value to them. So it, it really, what I'm doing right now is regurgitating because that's what we all do, right? Leaders are readers. Not all readers are leaders, but all leaders are readers. And I'm all over John Maxwell and Marcus Aurelius these days. Like, oh, okay. I'm just pounding those in my head. And so- adding value to the people in my life. I have a server's heart, server's mentality. I walk in service of anyone who I'm in the presence of uh, because that inspires and then it, it incorporates their trust and then they'll follow you. So then you have influence. So because I've done every job in the industry that I've ever worked at, so real estate, uh, making a dollar for dollars and, and selling or in the cable company, literally every job, my guys go through walls for me because they know that I've done it before. If I ask them to do something, they know that I'm asking them to do something that can be done. And then I get their buy-in now. It took me a long time to figure that one out. Don't tell them to do something, make it their idea, get, th get them to give me the timeline. Then, then they're accountable because they told me they could do it in a week. So that one took a long time, but that's adding value. It's growing them as leaders because now yeah. they're making choices and they have to hold themselves accountable. And if they don't, you're either going up or you're going out. You know, you got to make hard decisions sometimes and let people go yeah. who aren't sticking with the program. That makes so. sense. How do you, um, so these, this is something I'm going to ask because personally I've been through it and I think this is every leader's, I would say, dream, but also fear. You, you, let's say you start off with your three employees and you have a very intimate professional relationship with them. Uh, and it's very easy to directly, you know, communicate with them. But as you grow, which any entrepreneur wants to grow, how can you still impact uh, your employees on a positive, you know, in a positive way and make them still feel like you are there, like you're right there with them when now you've gone to 50 or 100 employees? Well, that's a great question because what you said, though, is kind of a misnomer. Whether you have three employees or 50 employees, it doesn't mean you're communicating well with them. Most people do not communicate well. Most people don't say what they mean they don't, and they don't mean what they say. So when you have three employees, it's critical that you start getting that process and systems down of communicating, written form, uh, doing a, uh, a pre-contract saying, this is what I expect of you this job and okay. then accountability making them do that because you will not do you'll fail at 50 if you can't do that at three so learning how to communicate is a very difficult skill for people to learn it was it took me years in years and years it was one of my biggest problems because i was just very aggressive and it didn't really 
transit. I didn't perceive myself as that for a long time. So to answer your question, how do you scale if you do communicate? And that's, again, by participating, by walking the floor, by knowing as many names as you can know, by doing the jobs that everyone has done in there. And that doesn't mean when you grow at 50, you're going to have accountants, you're going to have marketers, you're going to have uh, HR people, and maybe you didn't do those jobs, but you have a, a, a cursory knowledge of, the, of those jobs. You know enough to know that when they're giving you the reports, the trend is going up or the trend's going down, leading and lagging indicators of your business. Doesn't mean you have to have a tacit knowledge. Those are the, the three guys you started with. You know everything about those jobs, but you better know something about all those other elements yeah. of the business because if you don't know enough to know that they don't know what they're talking about, it's your business. You're responsible yeah. and accountable for that business. Exactly. That's a life. Those families are depending on you. Yes, and, and that's something I can definitely relate to. Um, I deal in the administrative world in the military. And it's funny because we have about three different jobs that we all kind of work together in the administrative world. And we all kind of overlap just a little bit over each other. So there's a lot mm -hmm. of the times where one of those jobs, you may, you're high enough in rank to where you should have a good, a good enough idea of what the others do and you're going to be leading them. And it's, it's so funny uh, or disappointing, depending on what position you're in in this conversation, yeah. when uh, somebody, they're completely telling you something that if you knew what they were talking about, you would know they were giving you bull crap, but they're just telling you something to get you out of their face. And you're like, oh, okay. And then you walk away. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, when it, com when it so comes you, to- You watch a bit of Jocko Willink, right? The biggest Navy guy there is uh, about extreme ownership and, and working, taking the military uh, in, uh, principles and converting them to business. Um, I, I live and die by Jocko Willink's extreme ownership. I, I really do- uh, model a lot of my life over that uh, after that book awesome dichotomy of leadership and yeah he's awesome and then uh, what is your what is your hiring process because you you mentioned about how you have you know it's mm. tough but you gotta let people go but what is your what are you, what are some things you're looking for when you're hiring so i hire um anywhere from you know my son he owns a, a landscaping business but he's he's 18 19 20 years old now so he doesn't know how to interview so i do that for with him so he can learn how to do it uh, a guy making 12 bucks an hour. I also just hired a vice president of the company that I just left that was making about $150,000 a year plus probably $200,000 bonuses. Nice. Talk about a scale, a graduate, but you treat them the same. You don't ask them the same questions, but you grade them the same. And what you're looking for is not someone who could do the job necessarily, but someone who's open enough to learning not only to do that job, but to grow with the company and do other things. Even the vice president, where does he want to be in five years? What's his plan? Because, you know, people who are vice presidents of those positions are, let's face it, they've been in the industry a long time and they're, they're probably over 50 years old. So I want to know how long you have, how many legs, you know, you got legs under you. So there's questions that you want to know about their future. Are they, are they, you know, forward thinking? We have a great grading scale that a guy named Scott McGregor gave to me. And uh, man, it, it's, it's a game changer. You know what, um, you know, what a, a D is on a test is like 60, right? 60 to mm -hmm. 70, 70 is, uh, you know, C, 80 is B and a 90 is an A. So we grade people a seven, eight, nine or 10. So that way, when we interview people for different positions, when multiple people interview, you're all talking about the same number. Now, if you go from one to 10, Someone might say a five and someone might say an eight and they're about the same. But if you use a seven, 
eight, nine, then you all talk in the same language. That's a D, a C, a B. Gotcha. So there's uh, different questions and, and yeah, it's all, it's very comprehensive, but it's about communicating and speaking the same language. It's you're the first systems person. and processes. No, no, you're the first person to bring up a lot of grading scale for hiring. I've heard of, uh, the, the closest I've heard it as like, a, we have a grading scale for tenants. Uh, mm -hmm. we, that's yeah. like our application process with them. But for a hiring process, I think that kind of makes it a bit easier. It does. And again, it wasn't me. It's Scott McGregor and Scott will tell you, he got it from someone else. You know I mean? He's been around the, the, the talent agency um, field a long time. And these are the people, that's a trick to my success. I'm going to tell you right now, it's surrounding yourself with people who are smarter than you, who, who are going where you want to go or who are or better yet at where you want to go. I've got this great network of people that I've built. Scott McGregor is one of them. I can put it phone, email and text them. And uh, these are the kind of things that have brought me from, bankrupt 10 years ago to live in a get to life where I am now. And, and I wish I'd have heard us when I was 30 instead of when I was 40, 45, 50. I, I truly believe in wisdom. Um, I definitely have listened to a lot. There's even been guys that's younger than me on this show and they've learned some great wisdom from people older than them. And uh, whether it was from experience or the wisdom they got from other people. So um, the people, and that's the reason why I wanted this podcast, right? So people could understand, okay, I'm not the only one going through this. Okay. I can do this. I don't have to be 50 to do this or I'm right. 50. It's not too late for me. Yes, that's right. That's right. If you're, if you wake up on the right side of the grass, it isn't too late. You write your own ticket. I had a, uh, I had a real estate investor I interviewed. He, to him, you know, he felt like starting at 46 was too late for real estate investing. And then in four years, when he turned 50, he was actually had enough properties to replace his income. So he put them all yes. on 15 year mortgages so that when he was 65 and he retired from his real job, he also would all the houses be paid off and he'd be good. So I was like, yeah, see, like. It's a mindset. You said it earlier. I mean, it's how you look at things, you know, proactive mindset. You know, that's why you know, I, I, I just harp on the get to because I never, ever will do anything that I ever have to do again. OK, because just I'm, and it, it's just about maybe I maybe I have to do something, but I won't say that. I always look at it as a get to, even if it's something I don't enjoy doing, I get to do it. You know, I get to, you, you just, you, you gotta be grateful, have a attitude of gratitude, no matter what you're doing. And so I want to talk about in your book, you, you mentioned uh, to help as many people as possible in adapting pro attitude, prospective and pro and to produce. So I like how you emphasize on the pro. Uh, so I want to talk about pro attitude. What do you mean by that? Well, it's just the ownership to be becoming your own CEO in your mind and also having future uh, or forward vision. Okay. And knowing that what I'm doing today is not meaning what I'm going to have to do for the rest of my life. So that's about the attitude. And those are the intangibles. Like you said, you, it's hard to find people with good work ethic. You're exactly right. Those are the intangibles, an attitude, uh, a work ethic, somebody who has accountability. You know, you tell someone to get there early, they get there early. That's just, just a time thing but you can't tell them to get there early and be happy that they're there early. You know, that's, that's the intangible. So pro attitude, when they walk in for a job interview in a suit for a guy who's going to be raking leaves, that's pro attitude. I like that. And then uh, you want to change their perspective. Yes. Again, it's all about it. I, Marcus Aurelius and it wasn't him. It's um, actually, this one is uh, Robin uh, Waterfield, but there's a couple of guys who, who did these translations for Marcus, who lived 2,000 years ago. 
everything in your way, I'm talking good and bad, is there for a reason. And so it's, your, it's how are you looking at them? When I was bankrupt 10 years ago, I had a good attitude. Believe me, I, 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 was, I was depressed, but not around my kids. I was depressed, but not when I got to that, that call center and started answering phone calls of $45,000 a year. I wanted to crawl into a hole, but I stepped looking at it as this is something new and let's treat it like that. Let's see what I can learn. Let's see what kind of people I can get up to and challenge myself. Uh, and and I, I met some amazing people, Michael Aronowitz and, and, and uh, Flynn, Michael Flynn, uh, who just um, changed my life. You know, they, they, they changed my life. And, and if I didn't have that perspective, if I looked at it as woe is me instead of this is a chance, um, uh, James Flynn, I, I'm stuck because I called him Michael, and, <laughs> but James Flynn, these, guys, these are people that changed my lives on, on a third chance, you know, in, in my 40s that got me over that bridge to get back into cable, which has put me where I am now, but it's perspective, how I chose to look at it. And that was a very humbling time. I forgot to mention that earlier, man. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was very humbling and a very, you know, tough time to do something that you didn't, you didn't do ever. You never worked at a call center and, uh, but you made, you adapted and you, you know, you did what you had to do. Right. Which I respect uh, definitely as a, as a man, husband, you know, head of your family, you did what you had to do and you got blessed later on because I am a firm yes. believer as well that, you know, hard work does not go unrewarded. Uh, I don't care who you are. Uh, it may not be when you feel like you deserved it. That's right. It'll, it'll come because when it even if you feel like somebody is prejudiced towards you or they don't even like you, I'm telling you right now, any business person that sees that you're making them more money. They're yes. going to probably put their feelings aside. And, and Absolutely. <laughs> so I, I see it all the time. It's, uh, and it also, too, um, what do you, how do you, because so, I'm going to speak on produce. How do you feel, is it, is it some of the, the characteristics or some of the attitude that you have as you, throughout the years you felt like you've um, been able to obtain? Or uh, is it maybe something, a new system that you've set in place to make th people feel like they want to produce more for themselves and to reach their goals? Well, you know, produce is, uh, so my, my company name is Taurus Pro Advisors. So that's why mm -hmm. all those pros are in capital letters and before all those adjectives. Yeah. Uh, because uh, it is all about, everything we do at the end of the day is production based, right? It's a production results world. Uh, and I'm very results orientated. I never knew that before, just even a year ago. Uh, I never knew I was competitive before a year ago because I was a musician my whole life, never a sports guy. So never knew I was really competitive in business because I didn't look at that as sports. I just never put it together. So I've always tried to add value. And that's because when I was a kid, I was treated so poorly. I had very low self-esteem. I say in the book, I think that I had no self-esteem. I was jealous of the kid down the street with low self-esteem. You know, the guy kicking <laughs> rocks, not looking up, I'm like lucky, you know, it must be nice to have low self-esteem. Uh, I, I had zero existence and I was full of rage. And so I always tried to make people happy and over commit and overproduce when I, you know, that, that was my, my, my kind of validating my feelings when they were like, good job. And yeah. so that just stuck with me my whole life. And when I was micromanaging, which is what I got into doing for a lot of part of my career, uh, I had a guy named Wes Parsons who came along in my life and opened my eyes to 
pulling out, making it simple, keeping it super simple, pulling out the levers, pulling out the bells and the whistles, letting the guys make the calls and giving up that control to have them produce. Because like you said, I started out with a small group. And then before I knew it, I was managing 40, 50 people. Um, and then we had probably, I don't know, hundred contractors under them. And so how could you control all that? I was killing myself and I had to let go and trust people. And believe me, I, I got it in the, in the rear end almost every week at my meetings because it took a long time to get those guys to buy into the system, buy into the process, stick to my plan. But I took my huge plan. I broke it down to just piece it out for them. What do you right. do? Know your job, Bill Belichick. Better yet, do your job, right? Uh, so, which is um, Alabama guy, Satan, Saban. So uh, yeah, know they, your they, job, they, do your job. And, and it really comes down to that. When you give the guys their value and you respect them and, and you have your core values and you walk in it and show it every day, they're going to produce for you. And did you find yourself, uh, it sounds like you had to change your business atmosphere, your, your workspace culture uh, in order for everybody to buy in. Um, I went through a lot of changes because, you know, uh, I was a contractor that I, that I was Comcast for eight years. And so that was kind of always moving around different districts. So it always moved. The teams always moved. So the longest I was ever somewhere was probably three or four years of the same team. And so, you know, it's just about my perspective and how I learned and, and kind of grew over the years. I always had a good reputation of being there first, leaving last. And, and again, jumping in the manhole with someone when the job needed to get done. So wherever I worked, uh, I just had a hot temper. I was just a snapper. I snapped at everybody. And that really, I started learning how to control that later in life after I was 45 years old, really the last five years. And I noticed a huge turnaround and respect. Awesome. People would call up and say, yeah, I heard, about, heard good things about you. Where before they go, I heard you're a maniac. <laughs> no. Uh, so I've, I've learned, you don't have to be the a-hole for people to respect you and take you serious. And I've learned that throughout my career as well, mm -hmm. uh, especially even in the military, right? You know, you kind of know how that goes. You've seen like the, the movies or known people where, either, yeah. you know, they're like knife handing you all the time, uh, especially in this day and age with the millennials. Uh, that doesn't work like it used to. So uh, there's definitely been a leadership, uh, you know, adapt. You know, people have had to adapt as leaders and people you can talk to people and get the job done. It's just that now you have to, you can't leave them in fear, but you do have to make sure you take the time afterwards to hold them accountable. Uh, but the, I think the leading in fear is, uh, I think gone are those days where that's going to yeah. be. Effective. Now it's so litigious. You get sued for it, you know, just for I, your words. I didn't even know that. <laughs> oh yeah. If you're in a company big enough, you get sued for your words. You gotta watch that. Good to, good to know. So with the entrepreneurship, man, one of the one of the coolest things that you told me at the beginning was that you had your son. He said you said he sold his car, right, to start off his own yeah. business. And yeah. so yeah. how did you get your son to have that entrepreneur mindset so early and want to put it all in and say, I'm going to do this? You just don't. You don't get that. Right. Uh, one of the things I will say is uh, I don't believe in luck. But I was lucky in the fact that all four of my kids had one friend through elementary, middle school, and high school. They didn't hang out with a clique of, of jerk-off friends who were, you know, giving each other bad advice and doing bad stuff. They all had one friend. And because after they're 10 or 12, 13, 
you're not their parent, their friends are. So they only had one friend. So they all hung out at our house. We had the cool house. I'm a professional drummer. I, I used to be at one time, I have a drum set. I love loud music. I love, you know, having fun. So my house was the fun house, the cool house. And they just saw that I grinded all the time. I always did multiple things. I tried selling health insurance and life insurance. And I just didn't stick to one thing. I always looked to you know, get the next, um, just, it was, I was never comfortable that something wasn't going to fall or, or fail. So I always hedge my bets. And that's the one kid that just kind of saw it. It's in my DNA. It's in his DNA. His brother wants to be a police, uh, a fireman. Sister wants to be a, a policeman. They're, they're both very, very close to getting those goals. 28, 23. Garrett's 18 when he sold his car for $10,000. By the way, he bought that car himself because daddy didn't buy him a $10,000 car. I hand down one car for $1,500. He said, hell no, I'm going to wait and buy my own car. He waited for two years to buy that car cash from cutting the neighborhood grass for $15 each. Saved up about $8,000, bought that car, put two, $3,000 into it. As soon as he graduated, he sold it and gave me $10,000 and said, I want to I be an entrepreneur. I'm not, I watched, uh, what did he do? He bust tables at a pizza joint next to this 35-year-old guy. And he's like, that's not going to be me. I want uh, to do what you do. And so that, that opened his eyes. Dad did not do that. But, you know. And it works out, right? You're in Southern California, so you can cut grass all year. Southern Florida, but yeah, same thing. I mean, Southern, yeah, yeah Southern California. <laughs> I want to go back to Southern California. I bet yeah. you do. <laughs> but yeah, Southern Florida. Yeah, so, because for us, it's like you cut grass about six months. And then other than that, it's, uh, it's uh, fall and uh, winter. And then there's no, the grass doesn't grow. So yep. that's, that's pretty awesome. That he, that he, so how did you, how did you and your son, right, amass up to where your, your revenue is, you said 250K? Yeah, that's right, 250 to 300. What happens is uh, he was cutting, I think he had 15 lawns and uh, he had a, a nice little mower, little rider thing. But I said, okay, we're going to do this. I bought him a trailer, I bought him a truck with his 10,000 and I, I put down 10,000, I matched him. So we put, we bought the truck and the trailer. And I said, you have to get 100 customers before you hire somebody. Okay. So he, he did. We went to Thumbtack and we paid like $5 a lead. And it was a great uh, referral source, source for us. It was very, I think we landed at about 50% of our leads, which is unheard of. Yeah, 50% is we awesome. Did. Yep. And we, we grew up from uh, 15 to 30 to 40. And then we bought a company for $5,000 for oh, 20 wow. customers. Oh, wow. And then uh, we are at 100 customers and I let them hire somebody. And so we went, he started cutting a hundred, started getting some money payback. And I bought another company with a hundred customers for 45,000, but now we needed two crews. So we bought another truck. And then now here's the best part. It's been two years. The kid works seven days a week. He's got five workers. His lowest worker makes $15 an hour, about $500 a week. Yeah. Garrett at 20 takes $250 draw every week. He makes half the money of his lowest paid guy and he works seven days a week. His other guys work four days a week because he owes pops a lot of money, but he also knows that capital is king and we have to build that bank account up and pay the trucks off before he can be really free and do it right. So for two years, he's been making a draw for 250 a week when he's been paying his guys double that sometimes triple for the leads. That's all I needed to see. And I give the kid anything he wants for his business because it's going to succeed because he, he, he sacrifices, he works it, he knows it. So, you know, 
I appreciate you sharing that story because you confirmed that I'm not crazy because uh, I did something similar with my son. He's uh, he's only eight, but I've been having him read this entrepreneur book. And, you know, the summertime, I was like, hey, we could do we could sell water bottles. I was going to do lemonade, but because of COVID, people might feel a little funny about that, you know, hand making yeah. lemonade. So we, we sold water bottles and th- for 32 bottles was six bucks. Sell each one for a dollar. So that's 32 bucks. So you make like, I don't know, like it's great math, return. $24 or something. And so he, we bought three cases return. of that. Say again. 75% return. That's a good return. Yeah, I'll take it. Right. So, you know, get a little cooler, really had cooler and then $2 ice. So I told him, hey, look, you owe me uh, $18 for the water and you owe me tw- uh, $2 for the bags of ice. So that's 20 bucks. And then you owe me. I'll loan you the 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 table because I bought a table from him for forty bucks, so he oh, yeah. could do that in increments. But generally, he made sixty three dollars that day, and I was like, "Hey, you just got to pay me back twenty bucks for the materials, and then the next time you do a project, we'll I'll siphon off for the for the uh, truck. I mean, well, you bought your son the truck, I bought the table, but I'm yeah. thinking we're thinking the same thing. So you know, it's funny because my mom was like, "Oh, come on, Anthony, you know, you're gonna make him pay pay you back." I was like, he needs to understand that if, if I was the bank and he needed money for materials, it would work the same way. If, it, if anything, I should have charged him interest. Uh, but, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's a good lesson. Yeah. You know, even at two or three percent interest to show the math. Exactly. You know, eight's a little young probably for that. But hey, maybe not. You know, every, everybody learns at different at different paces. So that's amazing. And another thing I was able to teach him with that. So he was very happy for one because he saw that. <laughs> okay, I can, this is something I could do, right? And I was getting him used to, I had him door knock a couple of times. It was people that we knew or I knew. Yeah. But I had him, you know, knock it and try his pitch as well. Get used to talking to adults. So he was a little shy with that, but he was doing better. Uh, But he was, so for about six months, he's been talking to me about how he's been getting money here and there from like his mom's friends or uh, maybe for like a holiday or something like that. Easter, he got a couple of dollars. And so that was about 40 bucks he got over the span of six months. And I was like, hey, you see how you made $43 in one day because you worked hard versus you sitting and waiting for something to happen? I was like, that's the difference between uh, people that take action and, you know, take life or grab life by the horns, if you want to say that, versus sitting and waiting for something to happen. And so at the age of eight, I hope it sticks, you know, and but I'll continue to keep pressing that on. And it sounds like your son really has that going. Uh, I love to hear that. I, I I I would be probably have a little bit of tear, a teardrop out my <laughs> eye if my son came to me and after 18, he's like, hey, this is what I'm trying to do. Cause the 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 plan is is for my son to be out at 18. But I don't mind if you tell me you want to go in business with me and my way, right. you're you're gonna pay me back with if I buy have to buy you materials. And of course, if yeah. you're gonna siphon off, take half of what your employees have got going on, of course, I'll let you live with me until you do all what you gotta do. I'd be I'd be completely yeah. fine with that. Yeah, I always had a rule. If you're in school, you're, you're living rent free, right? So I always had that rule. Now, I'll tell you what I, I tell my, my mentors, my mentees now. Um, I, I, I have something new. And it's, I, may, I haven't heard it. I think I created it. Why not? I'll take credit for it, right? It's got to start somewhere. Here's my advice now. Yeah, here's my advice. I got a kid who's getting out of high school and he wants to go to college because he wants to be, let's say, a better veterinarian, right? He needs a college degree for better veterinarian. I say, stop, time out, don't go to college. Here's what you need to do. You already lived at home for 18 years. Your parents are going to you, let you live at home for one more year, I'm sure, if it's in your, in your best interest, for yeah. rent free. 
go to work for the local veterinarian for free, knock on the door, say, I want to intern for you for one year. If you work for free for one year for a veterinarian, A, you're going to learn more than you will ever learn in four years of college. And B, <laughs> you, just, you just did a year for free because you love it. Now, you know, it's for you. Now you go spend $150,000 on that college education and two things are going to happen. You're going to know that it's worth it when you get out because that's what you want to do. Number two, you're going to realize they don't teach me anything that I ever learned in the veterinarian office in college. And that's a huge disconnect. So here's the flip side of that. They go to work for the veterinarian and two months into it, they go, I hate animals. I like my animals, but I don't like other people's. I mean, I'm not down for fixing lizards and, and you know, uh, squirrels and, and guinea pigs. This isn't for me. Well, now you just saved $150,000 because you wouldn't have known that until you got out of college because they don't teach that in college. So this is new advice that I'm kind of rolling out and kind of rolling up into a new workshop. And I think it's going to save a, a lot of people a lot of time, a lot of money, and a lot of, a lot of you know, misery. Yeah, no, that's actually a great idea. And if I could even get, let's just say my son or our daughters, if I could get them to even do that a little sooner, uh, that would be um, great. Well, that's the idea. Yeah, Junior Achievement, I don't know if they have it there, but here they have it here. It teaches kids in school from elementary, middle, and high school about money. Uh, it gives no. them a financial education, which they do not teach in school, any school, just about. Yeah, unfortunately. So, uh, so the, the I don't know if you want to call it a conspiracy theory or just it's just in the facts, but school kind of teaches us to, to be a worker, to, to yeah, go into, back into the field, to conform and go back into the field. Uh, I don't know, a lot of times you hear stories about the biggest entrepreneurs, they were, you know, dropouts or they did have learning disabilities and then come to find out now. Yeah. <laughs> I got, I got a sign just to keep it up. Me, 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 you know, that's what it is. I, school wasn't for me. I knew it wasn't from day one, except for drumline. And ROTC, I wanted to be a U.S. Marine, baddest way. I joined the U.S. Marine early enlistments when I left my house at 17 years old. I was homeless for a year. Went out and got my GED and started driving a tow truck until I can go to boot camp, Paris Island, become a man. I'd rather be going to Kuwait to fight in, in Desert Eagle than to be where I, I lived as a kid. And I went to show up for boot camp with my GED. And Staff Sergeant Samuel said, Torsk, what is this? It's my diploma, sir. Oh, no, I'm not a sir. I'm Sergeant Major. Sergeant, Sergeant, uh, Sergeant Major. Uh, that's not a diploma. That's a GED, and you need 15 college credit, Torsk. And I watched the bus pull away. And I was so stupid. I thought I could never be a Marine because I could never go to college because I was too dumb. I didn't know school. I didn't like school. So I never became a Marine because I couldn't go to college, get 15 stupid college credits when I was 18 years old. That's how messed up my thinking was. And so it served me okay. I met the, my kid's mother, you know, after that and, and all that. But, but I thank you for your service. My biggest hole, my biggest regret my whole life is that I didn't become a U.S. Marine. And uh, that'll never be fixed. But lesson <laughs> learned. Lesson learned. Shortcuts don't pay. No, and uh, actually, yeah, you just taught me something. You know, I didn't know that part about your story, man, that you, uh, you tried to do that. And, um, and that's right. That's that, that's that conditioning that you were taught. You were told. Uh, and you felt like, obviously, probably looking at your grades, that you weren't smart enough. Oh, and that's not my, the case. My parents were drug addicts. My parents were alcoholic and drug addicts. I was the I was the patriarch of my family from seven years old. I raised my little brother seven years younger. My sister, 18 months older, but she's deaf. I raised them from seven years old. I raised my parents. 
my parents didn't tell me to go to school. I hardly ever went to school. They never said, try to get good grades. They said, try to get at least a D because they can't kick you out if you at least get a D. That was the big advice for my parents. Yeah, I didn't have a very good upbringing. Wow. And so they usually talk about the, you know, the middle child syndrome, but it sounds like you uh, beat that and you were leading tip of the spears, like what we like to say. That's right. Yeah. Dang, man, that's that's actually that's crazy, especially for you to have to grow up at that age and have that sense of family, you know, because I would think a seven year old would be like really selfish. Oh, like I yeah. just want to be a kid. But you know, it, it was that yeah. my parents were fun. They weren't monsters. They were just drunk. <laughs> They're high. You know, they loved us. But they didn't have any responsibility or they, they were they're nutty themselves. But here's what happened. When I was 20 years old, my parents left at uh, eight, I was I guess 17. Like I said I left home, but they all scattered. They, they all divorced and left. And I was the only one in Florida. And uh, for, for three years, I was popping around homeless, basically on friends' couches. I got a phone call one day from my grandmother. She was drunk. And she said seven words changed my life forever because I was working in a machine shop for minimum wage. And she said, without thinking your father isn't your father you know what and it freed me anthony it freed me i wasn't tethered to the drunk party no good advice happy with driving a truck you know my whole life and god bless him he's still he's 70 years today my dog my pops is 70 today still driving a truck god bless him wasn't for this cat when i found out i wasn't his real son and i wasn't tethered by that DNA, I started climbing. I started picking my head up, holding my shoulders back, digging ditches, right? Went to, met a girl and she, her dad gave me a job digging ditches. That's how I got in cable company at 20 years old. But I started digging with a smile and I had purpose. And then two years after that, I found out that my real biological dad was a lawyer. I never met the man. I talked to him for two minutes on the phone, literally. But he was a lawyer, which means I was smart. I had DNA of a lawyer. And then I started, wow, hockey stick. You couldn't call me dumb anymore. And I, I just changed my whole life. Look, I got goosebumps right now. still to this day. Well, There's I'm thinking things. about it like this, man. First of all, you're the first person I've ever heard to find out when they find out that their parents is not, or their dad is not really their dad to be happy uh, about that. And that you, I love them. you flipped it on its yeah. head. You flipped it on its head as in like, Hey, look there. I'm not chained to these, uh, you know what you want to say these strongholds these generational curses i have this is like a fresh start for me so anybody that's listening that may because i'm pretty sure there's people that have obviously been through this situation before um try to flip it on his head as something positive like hey you know what okay so time to figure out where do i come from what is what is my background because because there are some things that may be more positive about me that i don't know about yeah it's perspective Right. I could have done everything that I did after I learned that it was in me, but I, I heard those words and it, it tripped a switch, but I didn't have to hear those words. I still got to switch my switch. And that's what I'm trying to tell people that it's the perspective, it's the accountability, the pro attitude, the producing and the, you know, all those buzzwords, it's all window dressing. You know, as Zig Ziglar says, motivation uh, is, is not, um, long lasting it's like a bath all right it, he's that's why he suggests it every day you got to have a drive you got to have drive you got to want to be motivated every day you got to put yourself in front of that motivation every day if you need someone to motivate you every day you got to reassess okay look at the world that you made 
and switch it. You can do it. Everyone can do it. If I could do it, that's what that says. If I could do it, anyone could do it. Believe me, I was nowhereville. I got so, a friend, uh, real, real quick. I have a friend named Josh uh, Wilson. Uh, he was actually on episode three. We talked about motivation. And one thing that I'll never forget that he said, he was saying that you don't, you can't have enough motivation for the next person. You may be able to get them to do one thing, right? And then right. after that, they're like, all right, good, I'm done. But you cannot never have enough mo motivation to get somebody to continuously perform. Uh, they have to want that and be, you know, that has to be in them. Yeah. yeah. Talk about David Goggins, man. He's the king of motivation don't work. You have to, it has to be just a, something in your brain isn't right. One of my chapters is called Jay Ain't Right. Because I did martial arts for many, many years. I used to get punched in the face and kicked in the stomach and just railed on and I would smile because <laughs> I didn't get knocked down. I got knocked down. I didn't get knocked out, right? I got cobwebs, but I'm still up. I'd stand up and they'd say, Jay Ain't Right. <laughs> Something's wrong with him. And it's just my brain, just, just the way I'm built. I, I don't, I want something. Uh, there's nothing now in the last couple of years, even 20 years, maybe. Uh, if I want it, I am determined and I'll do. And, and, and a lot of times I fail because of that. More times than not, I fail because of that. I lost a lot of money spending it on stuff I shouldn't have spent it on, but I was tunnel vision and I don't regret a dime of it. And I don't regret any one of those failures. I, I, I love those failures. I, I revel in the failure because I know I overcame it. And even when I fail now, I fail down, but I'm higher than I was my, before. This so is I true. can fail right now. And I'm higher. I'm going to climb higher and fail, but you're still higher. You know, it's that little yodeler on Price is Right, you know? Yeah. It doesn't matter. Failure is A-okay with me. I, I'm, I love your passion, man. And I, I love your story, too. Uh, you definitely are you know, hopefully at 50, I'm in your position. Right. And so <laughs> I want to, I want to talk about, uh, what is your why, man? What is your, your rich state of mind? You have a story, but what, how, you know, how do you put it together in your head as far as why am I doing this on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, you know, that changes over, over your life. But again, I'm, I'm trying to be happy. My why is pure selfishness. I want to be happy. So what makes me happy? Talking to young people, getting them way ahead of the curve from where, where I had to come from, uh, speaking to large groups, knowing that just one person in that group might just have that switch clicked, okay? Connecting, uh, anyone I speak to, uh, in fact, any one of your audience, they can uh, DM me on Instagram. I'm sorry, not Instagram. I only do uh, LinkedIn. This might, that's the one. Go to LinkedIn. DM me. I'll send you my book for free and my emails in there. We'll do a, a virtual coffee over line, spend 15 minutes. I will talk to anybody because I think get telling, hearing other people's stories and seeing myself in them allows me to learn from them. And that keeps me grounded. Remember when I said I lost everything, you know, 12 years ago when I was 40, I had, I was doing well for myself in my head and I became a jerk. I really showed my true colors. I had a chance to be do great things and I screwed it up. And that's probably what happened for me to lose everything is I deserved it. This time I worked so hard to get it all back. It's different. I've got, you know, I got these people in my life, you know, Marcus and, 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 and um, 
John Maxwell and, you know, all these books, these people will talk to me and I just want to do what they did. And that means helping people get what they want. And I learned something from every single interaction, learn something from you, Anthony, how you treat your kid and how you treat your wife and how you guys planning, you know, that touches me. So I'm 1% better because of this, this interaction. And that's my whole life. That's, that's what makes me happy. And having my kids and my wife proud of me, that's all I do it for. That's my why. I like that, man. Um, I, I'm going to start making sure that I emphasize on thinking like that. Each conversation is something I can learn from. And then also, how can I help uh, the, you know, that individual uh, or whatever situation I'm in? So I do appreciate you uh, breaking it down like that because that gave me a new perspective as well. And uh, awesome. this, is, this has been a cool episode because for one, man, uh, you, you're very refreshing as far as your perspective. Your perspective is very refreshing. So I do appreciate that. And I hope my, the listeners can appreciate that as well, man, because uh, you, you said that you were tired. You know, you've been doing, th- you know, up all day today, but I'm pretty sure the listeners not be, you know, be able to tell because the, your energy was great, man. Uh, your story is awesome. And I love your family dynamic, man. And I love the fact that you never quit. You kept pushing as well. And it worked yeah, out for you. Yeah, and thank you. Thank you and your wife for, for your you know, free service and just for being yourselves, man. I, and I, I look to really following you and, and learning more about you personally and, and having you in my life, man. You're, you're going, you're going exactly. We're on the same, we're on the same path. No. Yeah, man. I, that's exactly after this, man, definitely because um, there's some questions I, you know, I definitely want to ask you. And uh, just just to get learn more about your perspective, because um, I naturally uh, and I think people we all are, you know, subject, you know, we all subjective to do this or subject ourselves to it where we see this new challenge and we're like, I can't do that. Oh, that's too big. That's crazy. (laughs) And uh, your your perspective has been so refreshing. It has kind of reignited me on some things, even some things I was thinking about today where there's this deal that I want to get where it's about $2 million deal. And I'm like, I can't do that. That's too big, you know? And it's like, but there are people that, that are doing it and they're figuring out a way, Anthony. So yeah. how are you going to figure out and do it? Uh, eat an elephant. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Exactly. You know? There's a way. There's a way. Grant Cardone does it all the time. He goes, you know, us, trust me, we, we could talk. Cause I, that's, that's my, uh, I just love it, man. That's my job now. My job is to talk to people. I've made up a job for myself to talk to people. <laughs> I was born to do this. I say my last name is Two Risk and my blood type is B positive. So how could I go wrong? I love it. <laughs> well, it's been awesome, Jeremy. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. Thank you for sticking with us from the start of the episode. Please share our show with friends and family, visit our YouTube channel, and view more of our content on richstateofmind.com. See you next week on the Rich State of Mind show.